Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Praise God, praise God. Now I want to, I want to share with you something very simple tonight. And I want to talk about believers healing the sick. This is very important. We as believers should know uh, how to preach the gospel and how to demonstrate the gospel. Not just talk about it, but actually do it. And uh, let me, um, I can start uh, reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31. And uh, these are some of the words of Paul written to the church in Corinth. And he's not writing to preachers, he's writing to the believers because the books of the Bible, the epistles were written to believers. And he says, for you see your calling, brethren. That means everybody's called. Every, say, everyone say, everybody's called. Everybody. Now say, I am called. I am called. So we are called. You may not be called to the fivefold ministry gift, and, uh, and you know, but, but everybody's called to serve God. Everybody's called to minister to people. We should always remember that. In the world that you live in, people there are, that are around you, everybody. You know, one thing I, I don't understand why people, they think that, uh, you know, they should be in the five-fold ministry. They, and and, and me, many people, they kind of push and they promote themselves and they want to kind of be recognized. Listen, if, if, you, if God hasn't called you to the five-fold ministry gifts, don't try to call yourself. You know, somebody said some folks are sent, some just went, you know. Don't. don't <laughs> You know, don't, don't, don't try to be a, a, an evangelist or a pastor or a Bible teacher if, you know, I mean, in the sense, the fivefold ministry sense, uh, unless you are called to be. But be effective as a lay person. Amen. As, as a lay person means someone who's not in full-time ministry, but who's not in the fivefold ministry gifts, but he's serving God and, and do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a, that the fivefold ministry gifts are a special category, you know, who God has favored more than anybody else. It doesn't work that way. And how do you know whether God has called you to the fivefold ministry or not? Well, the first thing is that you are fruitful in what you're doing, right? That you're fruitful, not just because you want a title, because there's people who call themselves something that they are not. I mean, you, you can buy an old wheelbarrow and write Cadillac on it, it doesn't become a Cadillac. It's still a wheelbarrow. Yeah, right. You know, so, so don't, 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 uh, uh, don't, don't uh, you know, call yourself something. Now, but, uh, so the, the first thing is that you're fruitful. Now, fruitful, but everybody should be fruitful, whether they're in the fivefold ministry gifts or not. That, that is not the, you know, the, the ultimate indicator of whether you're called to the fivefold ministry gifts or not. So the first thing is that you're fruitful. The second thing is that if you're called to the five-fold ministry gift, the church you're in will recognize you. Amen? Because you remember when uh, the prophet Samuel came and anointed David, it says he anointed him in the midst of the brethren. When God call, anoints someone to the five-fold ministry, he doesn't do it in an obscure secret place so that nobody knows, and then the guy has to come and tell everybody else, hey, I'm, I should be, you know, 
It doesn't happen that way. God does it because, you know, there's, there's a concept of the body of Christ, the church, which is very strong in the New Testament. So you have the universal, the greater body of Christ. Then you have the local church. And so I, I believe that everybody should belong to a good local church. Amen? If you go to a local church, don't go to a bad local church. Don't go to a church that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that doesn't preach faith, doesn't preach the Word of God, you know? And don't go there just because, oh, my whole family has been going there. My uncle goes there. My aunt goes there. My father-in-law is the pastor. That's not a reason for you to go to church. It's like going to a restaurant that gives you diarrhea each time just because your family goes and eats there. Do you, no, I'm serious. Do you understand what I, I'm maybe using a bad example, but... but but that's in my part of the world, we talk that way, you know, you know that. So, but but my, my, my point is, find a good local church. And once you grow there and you begin to flow and the gifts of God flow through you, you're a blessing to people. Believe me, the church will recognize that you are called to the, uh, to, to, you know, to, to ministry. You don't have to promote yourself. You just have to bear fruit. You just have to do your thing, you know, and, 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 and the church will say, you know, this person is, is called by God. He's anointed by God. Look at the way God is using him. And if that never happens, fine, just keep on serving God. God will bless you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anyway, so, every, so look, so he's writing to the church. So this is what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 31. For see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to not things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. For... Uh, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So, you know, God chooses ordinary people. He chooses people who he, it pleases to choose. Amen. He doesn't choose them because of their merits or, you know, they deserve. You know, it's just, I don't know why God chose me. I really don't understand. I have a lot of deficiencies in my life. For, for one, I think, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've, I'm 67 years old, and, and there are certain things that doctors say these days people have that in, when I was young, those things we never heard of. And sometimes I wonder if I have this ADD thing going, you know? I find it very hard to focus. My mind is all over the place, and sometimes I wonder why can't, you know? I don't know why, but why did God choose me? I don't know. He just did. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but God uses me. Amen? I know people smarter than me. And I had one pastor tell me, you know, Christopher, what you're doing is so easy. I mean, I could take up an offering, go to Africa, put up some posters and put up a PS system on a platform and, and preach and I could get a million people and see miracles. I said, brother, you can. I mean, you have better pedigree than I am. You're smarter than me. You're third generation Pentecostal and you could do it. But here's the problem. 
I'm doing it and you aren't. You know, so, uh, but, but I'm doing it because of God's grace. God's calling it. So don't compare yourself to others. You know, just serve God. The Bible says in Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness, with, with joyful heart. Just serve God. Amen. And God will use you. So that's the background. Now, I want to give you a background about uh, how I began to pray for the sick. What happened was uh, uh, I got, uh, you see, first, first of all, you must be uh, eager to serve God with all your heart. Now, you know, I, I grew up in very uh, well-to-do, wealthy family. My father is kind of uh, uh, from, my, my grandfather was a prince, actually, you know, from, we are from the royal family of Jordan, and my, we kind of settled in another part of the world. And anyway, so I, I was an army officer and all that, and um, my dad was a general, and, you know, we came from a uppity kind of family. And then I got saved, and I began to preach the gospel, and I was in prison for almost a year, and they wanted to execute me. I lost everything. I came as a refugee to Sweden with nothing, learned the language, and, and I was looking for it because, you know, and, and nobody wanted to sponsor me to do ministry. So I said to the Lord, okay, I'll get a job, but I will still do full-time ministry. I will do as much ministry as a full-time minister does, and I will work a few hours every day, just earn enough to support myself. So I got a job as a janitor. I was sweeping floors and cleaning toilets, and that was the best job I could get. But I did that with all my heart. My first job, I worked as a dishwasher. Believe me, it's a filthy job. You know, I worked as a dishwasher, and then I worked as a janitor, and I, I worked as a, a cook for some time. You know, I did whatever I could to support myself, but I preached the gospel, and I was out there on the streets witnessing to people, handing out tracts. If anyone ever needed me, I was, I mean, I was eager. People knew, people in the church knew they could always counter me. First of all, you have to be that person. If you want God to use you, you can't serve like, uh, well, you know, I will come if I have the time, you know. I can't miss the football game that's going on. You, you, you can't, you, listen, you can't live like that and expect God to use you. You got your priority first. And, and my wife have been and I have been married for 41 years. And we have lived in different places. And wherever we have lived, our first thing, we have looked for a good church in that town. And secondly, we have always looked for a house close to the church so it's not too far for us to go to the church. Because my family, my wife and I, my kids and myself, we have built our life around the church. Our social life, everything, it's around the church. It's not that other things than on Sunday we are Christians. No, 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 no. We have built our lives around the church, around the work of God. In fact, to the point that if you take that away from us, we wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, that's, right. that's our life. So you've got to be that person. That's right. If you want God to use you, you have to be that person. You have to build your life around, around God's work. Amen. So anyway, so what happens when I'm working as a janitor that it was during that time I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I got hold of Brother Hagin's books. And, and I remember I was one day 
uh, reading scripture. I spend a lot of time speaking in tongues and reading my Bible and meditating. And then, you know, many times uh, you read scriptures as you're studying scripture, suddenly here's a verse you have read many, many times or many, many years. And then suddenly that verse kind of jumps out of the Bible, hits you between the eyes, and it's like a revelation to you, right? It's not revelation in the sense that it has never existed before. It has always existed before, but you have not seen it. It's new for you. And that was, I was reading Mark 16, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And there was a list of signs that will follow the believers. And it suddenly, I began to read, I said, I am a believer. So because I'm a believer, these signs shall follow me. And those signs were, in my name you shall cast out devils. I go, I've never done that. I should start doing that. <laughs> they shall speak with new tongues. Yes, I've done that. They shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. I'm going to do that. So I said, okay, this is what the Bible says, so I'm going to start looking to do that. I look for demon-possessed people. In Sweden, they're hard to find, you know. And so, but sick people were easy to find. I said, I started looking for sick people and and uh, I remember the sick per first sick person I prayed for had a sinus infection. And that person got healed. The second one had a back thing. So I became a specialist on sinuses and backs. <laughs> began. You saw anyone. And, and then I began to look for other things. I thought, now nah, I start praying for people with crutches. And I was dangerous. I could walk up to total strangers in town and yank their crutches and pray for them. Now, of course, you've got to understand, Sweden people, we don't have a litigious society with lawsuits like in America. In America, you sneeze in someone's direction, you got a lawsuit, you know? In Sweden, people will get mad at you, yell at you, cuss at you, but they won't sue you. you so you're pretty safe. Uh, so I used to jump on people and yank their crutches away and pray for them and, you know, give them Pentecostal massage and all that. I used to, I was kind of, I was like that. And my wife and I were newly married. She was so embarrassed. She was wondering, what have I gotten into marrying this guy? So anyway, so I was doing all this and people were getting healed and more and more, but there were also people who were not healed. And I just shrugged that off. People don't get healed. God is the healer, not I. So, you know, I'll just find the next person to pray for. So I was doing that. And uh, then I remember one day, I was at a, some kind of retreat, like a conference. We had all gone away to a place owned by the church, a couple of hundred of us. We were having meetings for three days. And some of us were sitting and praying together. And there was a young lady there who I'd never seen before. I didn't know who she was. And when she was, and then suddenly, I heard something in my heart telling me about a medical condition she had. That she had this certain medical condition. I got scared. I said, what is this? Now I'm hearing voices. It's one thing if someone tells you, I have this, please pray for me. But then you hear a third voice telling you this person has this. And I was so scared. I didn't know whether it was God, whether it was the devil, what it was. So I waited until that gathering ended and everybody had gone. Then I said, excuse me, can I talk to you? And she said, yeah. I said, do you have this? She said, yeah, how do you know? I said, I don't know. I, it must be the Holy Spirit, I think. I think it's the Holy Spirit. So I prayed for her and she got healed. And she got healed from another thing that she hadn't told me about. So I asked some people about it, some a minister about it. He said, oh, it's called the word of knowledge. What's that? 
So he showed me, in, you know, it was in Corinthians, talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's how I was introduced to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then I began to learn this, that one thing, that healing ministry, uh, the healing comes through two ways. One is through the Word of God, then the other through the gifts of the Spirit. But you should never base a healing ministry on the gifts of the Spirit. But you always base it on the Word of God. Simple reason why. Because when it comes to the Word of God, you are always in control. You have your Bible. It is the Word of God. It is the Word through which God created the heavens and the earth. It is the word through which God sustains all things. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is always packed with dynamite. It's always, it says it's quick and powerful. The word of God in season. That's why Paul said, preach the gospel in season, out of season. Why? Because no matter what the situation is, the word of God is always full of power. It is always charged up. It is always ready to go. And you are in control. You have your Bible. You open it. You read it to somebody. And that person, 100% guaranteed, he's going to get faith. And that word of power will go out and heal that person. Right? Now, on the other hand, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you don't control. You don't walk around like with, you know, like, like with prophecies in your pocket. And then I said, mm, I think I'll lay a prophecy on each of you. Could you please come and line up here? I'll give you a prophecy. That is wrong. There's people who do that. You know, you can write and you can send a $10 check, they'll send you a prophecy. If you send $50, you, they'll have a bigger prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, you look at the back pages of Charisma magazine. You'll see those ads. Do you understand what I'm saying? So people, but, but, but the, here's the thing, the, here's the main thing, is that both healings, whether it comes to the Word or to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're both from God. The main difference is that when it comes to the Word, you're in control. And that's the great thing about the Bible. If you have a Bible, you read from it, God will always work through it. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter how you feel, or how anybody feels, whether it's rainy or sunshine, you just need to pull the Bible out and read from it, and God will do something with it. That's the first thing. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's He who is in control. Right? That, that's, the, that's the first difference. The second distinction is that a healing that comes through the Word of God, it comes through that person who is receiving the word of God, faith coming into his heart, and him receiving by faith. Right? right. But when it comes to healing through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, faith is not required of the person who's receiving the miracle. So what happens when a person gets healed by hearing the word of God, and next morning he wakes up with symptoms in his body, he knows because he knows what the Word of God says. He has been taught the Word and he will say, Devil, you go away. You can't do this to me because I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. I know the Word of God. You can't put this on me. Amen. But when a person has been healed by the gifts, he wouldn't know what to do with it because he doesn't know the Word. 
And that is why when someone is healed through the gifts, it is imperative that the first thing we do is to teach them how to stand. Because if you don't teach them how to stand, they can come back to you tomorrow having lost their healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, both healings are from God. And I'm not saying one is better, better or greater than the other. Thank God that people are healed, no matter how they're healed. But here's a distinction. So you always base your uh, a ministry of miracles and praying for the sick on the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Now, there's another thing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are wonderful. But I always say what they should do, they should supplement and complement the work of the word of God. The word and the spirit go, by, go side by side, but the, spirits, uh, the, the, the gifts of the spirit are there to supplement and to complement what happens through the word. And the other thing is that the more you give yourself to the Holy Spirit, the more you yield to him, the more you allow the, the Holy Spirit to work through you through the gifts, over time you develop a, I don't want to use the wrong word, but if I may use the word familiarity with the Holy Spirit. You get used to the unique way he uses you. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't use me the way he uses Pastor Rusty or the way he uses Pastor Roland. Everybody has a, you know, it's not a cookie cutter thing that one size fits all. The Holy Spirit works in, in fact, the same gift can work through different people in different ways. When I, I mean, I rarely prophesy, but when I do, I just feel a stirring in my heart, and I know God is giving me a word, and I'll speak it out. But I have another friend in Sweden, and he prophesies. He's a pastor. He's not a prophet. He has never called himself one. But when he prophesies, he'll kind of gaze off to the ceiling, and then he actually sees a scroll appear, and he just reads of it. Yeah. Try to figure that out. Then I can say, why doesn't that happen to me? I want that. <laughs> it's God who chooses it. That's what I mean. It's the Holy Spirit who has the gifts. And he chooses how to operate them through us. Right? But here's the thing. The more you, more familiar you get with the Holy Spirit, the more you commune with him. That's why our communion with the Holy Spirit is very important. The more you commune with him, the more, do, more time you spend in fellowship with him. So what happens is that you, then he flows through you more and more. If it's words of knowledge, you'll get more and more of those. If it's prophecy, you'll get more and more in those. And then, so you will then discover, you will actually get some ten, telltale signs, you know, before, uh, I remember, for example, uh, there was a time, and it still happens to me sometimes, when I'm, I'm praying for the meeting in the afternoon, and sometimes God will show me. I'll never forget, I was, uh, this was in Lulio in Sweden, and I was praying in the afternoon, and suddenly I saw the church where I'll, I'd be preaching this evening. It was the big Lutheran cathedral. I saw the empty cathedral, and, and I saw something pointing towards a certain like in the sixth, seventh pew, in, in, in that direction, saying to me, there'll be a man there with cancer, and I'm going to heal him. And I said, Lord, okay, fine. If that is you, you remind me doing the meeting. So the meeting started, all that was going on, and suddenly I remembered. I said, there's a man right there. You have cancer. And the man stood up, and he came out and God healed him. 
And he lived for many, many, he was an older man, but he lived for many, many years until he died of old age. But he was completely healed. So, you know, you, you develop a, a familiarity with the Holy Spirit. You know, when he begins to stir uh, within you, so then you get an idea, this is what's going to happen. When I go into such and such person's house, this is what's going to happen. Because you are now getting used to the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, 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 he may not show you. Sometimes he'll show you everything beforehand. Sometimes he'll just give you a stirring. A stirring. And then you, you have that stirring. All right? So that is, that is how the, you know, we flow in the Holy Spirit. But now, you have to remember, if you want to flow in the Holy Spirit, there's several things you want. If you want to develop in the gifts of the Spirit. The first thing, pray a lot in tongues. People ask me, what should I do? Well, there's a whole bunch of things, but one of the main things is pray a lot in tongues. When you're driving your car, pray in tongues. And I'm not saying you can't drive your car with the eyes closed and going, Shira Baba Basha, freeway, you're going to die. But what I'm saying is drive your car, Shira Baba That's what I would do. Okay? I mean, use your brain at the same time, you know? So <laughs> pray a lot in tongues. Pray a lot in tongues. Your lips should always be moving. When you're laying in bed, when you, you know, listen, sometimes I, I wake up. Has it ever happened to you? Wake up at night, you can't sleep. And I say, there's something wrong with me. Well, you know what? I learned one thing. Most of the time when that happens, God is calling you to pray. And if you don't know, just pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Sometimes just roll down from my bed, lay on the floor, prostrate on the floor. I just pray in tongues until I fall asleep again. Just pray in tongues. Take those opportunities. Amen? Just pray in tongues. If, if you wake up at night, can't sleep, take as pray in tongues. So pray a lot in tongues. That's the first thing. Second thing, uh, never violate your conscience. Don't willfully do things that you know to be wrong. And that also means, that includes keeping our eyes clean, especially guys, when you're on the computer, don't look at things you shouldn't be looking at, because those images, believe me, they get in your mind and they stay there a long, long time, even after you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Hello? Huh? Those images, once they hit your eyes, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I feel terrible. Yes, the Lord forgives you, but you'll feel terrible for a long time because those things will get burnt into your mind. So it's good. Try. Do your best. You know, there, there's a striving against sin. There is. There is a striving. I believe in grace, but grace doesn't mean, you know, you just let things go and que sera, sera, what will be, will be. And then, you know, Jesus still loves me. It's going to be okay. No, no, that's wrong. That's goofy. I know where people get that stuff from. That's not grace. That's stupidity. All right? So uh, keep your eyes pure. Don't violate your conscience. Things, things that are wrong, don't go there because the price is too high. That's the second thing. Third thing, very important, unclutter your mind. Heaven, the, the blessing of the uncluttered mind. Because I remember when I was growing up, there were, we had very few distractions. Nowadays, we have so many, and not necessarily bad things. 
Firstly, there's too much information out there. A lot of stuff that have no bearing on eternity. Stuff I don't need to know. <laughs> you know. The world might think I need to know them, but I really, really don't. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, especially when it comes to ignorance of stupid things that the world is doing out there. You don't need to know everything. Have an uncluttered mind. Simplify what you watch on TV, what you read, what you watch on your phone. Just keep it simple. Simplify your life. Simplify your mind. Amen? Amen. I call it the blessing of an uncluttered mind. Because, because you see, when, whenever God speaks to us, he speaks to us through the spirit, but our mind is there. But the thing is that if there's too much in there, too many, too much, you know, short circuit going on there, it's sometimes very hard for the spirit of God to get through that. Right? And you've got all this, and you think, oh, which one is God? Maybe this is all God, or maybe this is God, that is God. But it's not God. So, uncluttered mind, okay? So, re remember that. Now, but, now, going back to the word, when you are going to pray for people, it is very important. If you go into someone's house to pray, it is very important that before you pray, you always share the word of God with them. Always make sure you share the word of God with them. Because you don't know where they are, how much they know. A lot of Christians are sick. People you run into, Christian people are sick. Not because they have sinned. Not because they're bad people, but because of Hosea 4.6. My people perish because of lack of knowledge. Many people go to churches where they don't even understand the basics of redemption. People don't know. They know that Jesus died for them, uh, but that's it. Some people know this much, Jesus died for them, but he died for their sins. Some people know this much, yeah, he died for my diseases also. But they don't know that they have been healed through their stripes. You know, the level of teaching that they have received will determine what they believe. And there you come to, to pray for them. So it's always good that you have a word that is ready. Amen? You have a word that is ready. And so you, you, you share the word of God. And then you believe that the word of God will always get the job done. Amen. You have got to believe that. Sometimes, you know, uh, I've been to people who are in a coma. And I say, you know what? Even if them, their mind isn't there, the spirit still understands. Amen. The spirit still understands. You can preach the word of God to them. Amen. So always be there. Uh, to minister to people. Now, then the next thing is, I'm trying to jump over a lot of things I've written, is uh, right. Now, there are two different contexts of healing, and this is very important for you to understand that. One is healing for the unbeliever, which is in the context of the Bible. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where it says, they shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. That is in the context of evangelism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Right? 
And when the apostles were threatened, they were beaten, and what did they pray in Acts chapter 4, 29, 30? And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hands to, to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So, miracles in the context of the gospel are a sign. It's, it shows two things. Firstly, it's a confirmation and the sign that the gospel message is true. So whenever I preach the gospel in my crusades, I preach the gospel and people always get healed. Always. I mean, they have lame, blind. You can't even imagine the miracles we see. Sometimes, like in some of the pictures, I would spend two hours just getting short 30-second testimonies from people. Hundreds of people lined up. Blind, deaf, crippled people here. But those are miracles in the context of the gospel. Yeah, and many people say, well, why doesn't that happen in the church on Sunday morning? Now, that's difference. Yeah. There's a difference between miracles in the context of the gospel and miracles in the local church. Miracles in the local church, they come through the teaching of the word of God and people growing in their faith, understanding the promises of God, understanding the realities of redemption, understanding their covenant rights and claiming those covenant rights by faith and getting healed. The entire process is different. Why is it this way? I don't know. My pay grade isn't high enough to explain that to you. Only thing I can tell you, that is the way it is. Miracles in the context of preaching the gospel to sinners is a totally different thing than miracles in the church where God expects believers to respond by faith. And that's why we teach people about the redemption that Jesus has provided for us through Jesus, uh, through the cross, what Jesus did for us at the cross, and what you can do to take hold of those blessings and possess those blessings. And we help people by teaching them about redemption and their covenant rights. And that's really what faith is when you uh, understand how to respond to the grace of God. Amen? So, so you, it's very good to be aware of that. Otherwise, people become very critical. They say, oh, Christopher Alam goes to Africa. He sees all these miracles. But in my church on Sunday morning, we don't have the same miracle. Why? What's wrong? It's, your, your question is stupid. <laughs> it's a totally different context. The context is totally different. So it is a, now. And so I want you to understand another thing. If you as a believer... If you want to be used by God, don't look at this place as your platform to pray for the sick. You see this platform, this pulpit, this is Pastor Rusty's place of ministry. Your place of ministry is out there. Amen? So if you want to see miracles... Don't say that, well, I, I want God to use me here. Pastor Rusty, can you, you know, I feel anointed. I want to pray for the sick. I want to, no, don't do that. Go to the sinners. Yeah. 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 
Go, go, go out, go to, I mean, the people you rub shoulders with in a gas station, convenience store, people you know, the hairdresser who does your hair, uh, or, you know, uh, uh, whenever you go there, all those people, your neighbors, your friends, people at work, that is your congregation, that is your constituency. Minister to those people now. When you begin to do that, believe me, and I can tell you this, you will be amazed to see the miracles that God will do through your hands. You'll be amazed because most of you, you, you try to do it here and, and at times, you know, when people come for, for healing and then Pastor Rusty might say, okay, some of you come and help us pray for the sick and then you go back. Why did anything happen? Well, this is not your situation. Your situation is out there. Because back in the day, you know, I used to, oh my goodness, I used to go on the streets and pray for people. I used to go and knock on people's doors and, and, and minister to people in their homes. And I used to pray for people on trains and buses. I had great success in praying for people because they were sinners. Amen. So when you're out there among people, whether it's organized evangelism by the church or it is spontaneous, your own relationship evangelism in the context of the people who you know in your life, in your everyday life, when you minister to them, you will be, I mean, you'll be blown away. That is when, believe me, that is when you will discover and you will realize how much God has really invested in your life through years of hearing the word of God. Because some of you are thinking, you know, I've been in this church hearing faith for 10 years and nothing has happened in my life. Well, you go and put yourself out there. That is when all the seed that has been sown in your life for the past X number of years, you'll say, wow, I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't know God could use me that way. Because that is what God has equipped us for. For the people out there who need Jesus. For the people out there who need the gospel. Amen? Amen. So that is very important to realize. So now, the other thing, uh, I want to share a couple of things before I close. One thing is, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you know, uh, what I did, uh, listen, what I did, I, when this... uh, uh, if I'm Pastor uh, Rusty, if I may give a plug-in for that, this will just help you, and it's free of charge, doesn't cost you anything. What I did when COVID started, and I came, and I asked the Lord what I should do, and I used to teach in a Bible college in Sweden for four years, and the Lord said, begin to teach. So what I did, I began to study and teach, and I taught every day. So I've got seven months daily lessons without even a break on the weekends. I got more than 200, and then seven different subjects. And one of the subjects is, is just realities of redemption and healing and all that. And I began to study things I'd never studied before, like systematically. And one of the things I studied was the healing ministry of Jesus. And it was fascinating. Because you see, the healing ministry of Jesus is our model. Then. I studied the healing ministry of the apostles, and the apostles modeled their healing ministry after the healing ministry of Jesus. I mean, if you look at Peter, Paul, they did what Jesus did. They were basically, because Jesus said, 
these things that I do, you shall do also, and even greater things. And, and I suddenly realized people talk about what are the greater miracles? I mean, what greater miracles can you do than that which Jesus did? Well, I tell you, I realized what it was. It was like, you remember when Jesus would be walking somewhere, they would lay the sick down, and they just wanted... Uh, so that they could touch the hem of his garment, and all those who touched him were healed. But in the ministry of the apostles, it wasn't touching their garments, but when their shadow would fall, they would heal. And that was the greater works. And so I suddenly realized that we got to model our ministry after the ministry of Jesus. Now, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he ministered to people under two conditions. One was he prayed for the sick when they asked him to. And when he asked them to, he never turned them away. He never said to anybody, you know what, uh, uh, thank you for asking me, but you know, I don't want to heal you because God is trying to teach you something and there's this process going on right now. I see you in six months, you know. <laughs> or heaven is better than this place, so... It's okay, you just go to heaven quickly, you know. God needs you there. You, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, Jesus didn't say anything. So he never refused to heal somebody who asked him. Think of that. Now, but there were other people who Jesus healed. Like the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Right? He didn't even have faith. But... The father told him. So it was either they asked him or the father told him, and that was specific cases. If the father didn't tell them, tell him, he didn't heal them. Like when he went to the pool of Bethesda, there were all these people laying out there, right? And Jesus walked up to this one guy and healed him. Now, all those, there were all those other people waiting for the moving of the water. None of them asked him. He didn't heal them. He just walked away. And when they asked him about it in John 5, he says, you know what? The son can only do that which his fathers do because the father loves the son and shows him all things. And so that was his answer. The father showed me to heal this guy, so I healed this guy, and that was it. That's why I did it. So you have to remember that uh, there's that element. So you don't have a responsibility to heal everybody. But we pray for those who ask us. Amen? We pray for those who ask us, and we always pray for those who the Father tells us to pray for. That's what I do. Sometimes, like I was in, uh, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. I just got into a taxi. I was very tired. I wanted to eat something. I got in the taxi, and there was this guy. He came to, you know, my, my window was open. He came to me, and he was trying to get my attention. So I asked, asked the taxi driver who spoke English. I said, what does he want? And he said, oh, he's, he's deaf and mute. He's... Beg, he's begging money. So I said, come here. So I stuck my head out the window. I put my fingers in his ears. And I said, you deaf and dumb devil, come out of him in the name of Jesus. Put my fingers out, and he could hear and speak. Now, he didn't ask me for prayer. But I did it because that's what I felt God wanted me to do. Right? But that doesn't mean I say, okay, bring out all the deaf and mute, deaf mute people, line them up. No. The father told me. Why did the father tell me about him and not about others? I don't know. Yeah. He's God. That's right. I'm not. I just obey him. That's right. That's right. Amen. That's right. 
We don't know the answers to everything. But one thing we do know, when God speaks, we obey. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then when people come to me and ask me to pray for them, another time, uh, I was in Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe, and I took my son, Emmanuel. He's, uh, He's 37 now. He was 10 then. And it was so long ago. So we went to see the falls. And as we were coming back from there, there was a place where there were lots of tourists and all the tourist buses. There were Europeans, Africans, hundreds of people. And uh, I said to him, let's get an ice cream. So there was an ice cream man with a cart. So I said, two ice creams, please. So it was hot day. So we took ice creams. Then there was a man trying to get my attention. So I I asked the ice cream man, I said, what does he want? He said, he wants you to pray for him. I said, pray for him? He said, you're the pastor at the crusade in town, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, he wants you to pray for him. So I kind of hesitated, mainly because I'm like this, believe me. Now, when I see Africans, when I see black people, I feel the anointing. Because I'm in Africa, those people have limitless faith. The moment I see Europeans and Americans, it kind of... Because they're skeptical, they're saying. Honestly, it's true. Huh? And they were full of this German tourist looking at me, you know, what is he going to do? So I told the guy, I said, tell him to come to the crusade tonight. He said, I'll bring him. I said, sure. So I walked away. I walked a couple of hundred yards, and suddenly I felt convicted. And the Lord said, Jesus said to me, he says, if I was there, would I do that? I said, no, 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 I, I know you wouldn't, but it's not you, it's me, you know. <laughs> I said, that's me, not you, you wouldn't, but, you know, me. And the Lord said, then he said, now what kind of Jesus do you want your son to believe in? Do you want him to believe, he will remember this the rest of his life, do you want him to Think, believe in the Jesus who only heals in the big crusade. But you can't heal in the marketplace. I said, oh, Lord, please, okay, okay. What do you want me to do? The Lord said, you know what to do. So I'm standing there thinking, am I going to obey God? Am I not? Because, you know, because whenever I saw these Europeans, my faith went down to the floor, you know. And then I said, so my Emmanuel says, he says, Dad, what are we doing here, just standing here? I said, I said, okay, man, will come. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going back to the ice cream man. So I went back to the ice cream man. I said, where's your friend? He found the guy. And so I put my fingers in his ears, put my one finger on his tongue. I said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him, devil. He began to hear and to speak. And as we were walking away, you should have seen my little boy's eyes. His, I mean, that look on his face was priceless. That is something that money cannot buy. The look on my boy's face was priceless. And and he he said, Dad, you know what I've learned today? I said, what? He says, that Jesus is always bigger than the devil. And that had an impact on the little boy's life. When he went to college. He went to a very, uh, he went to a university called Carnegie Mellon University. It's very, it's an engineering tech university. Everyone is very intellectual. So he's got two roommates and, 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 you know, and he's, and I've never tried to push anything on him spiritually. So he wants to 
desperately wants to get the Holy Ghost. So one night he's, he's laying in bed on his bunk reading Smith, Smith Wigglesworth's ever-increasing faith, and suddenly the power of God comes over him and he's shouting in tongues. And then when he's with his roommates, now he's in this very liberal university, and when he's with his roommates, he said, guys, give me five minutes, I, have to, I need to pray. And he would always go on his knees and clasp his hands and he would pray in tongues. And they respected him. Nobody ever laughed at him because they knew he was genuine. So, you know, those, those little things have an impact on them. So we should remember. We should re so I learned that lesson. You know, so we should remember that whenever God speaks to us, we should always be available to minister to people. Amen. 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 Now, there are, can I take five more minutes? Sure. Okay. There are, there are, there are, God has provided for us several different methods we can use to heal the sick. The firstly is believing the word of God and receiving. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Okay? The second one is the prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. This is interesting because the word agree, or agreement, is the Greek word Symphonia. And that's where we get the word symphony. When you have several different instruments, but they play the same music. Yeah. Amen. They're different instruments, but together they play the same song. So agreement means if two or three say the same thing, you know, symphonia. Sim means like, uh, uh, like uh, symbiosis or uh, synchronization, that's what we get, and, and phonia is phonetics, voice. So we have several voices. If two or more of us speak with the same voice, we say the same thing, if we, it shall be done for us by the Father in heaven. And this is something we need to practice more, that if you have a need in your life, find someone you're in unity with and say, would you agree with me on this? And then you pray and let that person agree with you totally. And then you say, we, this is what we have, this is what the Father has said. If two or three of us shall agree, shall say, shall say the same thing concerning something on earth, it shall be done for us by our Father in heaven. Hallelujah. So that, that is the prayer of agreement. When we, we pray together with one voice, with one voice, we pray the same thing. We say the same thing. Now, the third thing is laying on of hands. Mark 16, 18, they shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Laying on of hands. That's why I tell people, keep your hands clean. Don't touch impure things with your hands. The hands, you know, are very special. Do a study in the Bible about hands. And Paul says, I wish that, I pray that men everywhere lift up holy hands. Our hands are supposed to be holy. They are to be lifted up to the Lord as holy hands. So don't touch the unclean thing. Yeah, Amen. Lift up holy hands. Let your hands be clean. Let your hands be holy. Yeah, right. Amen. Amen. We shall lay our hands. There's something very powerful about the hands. Remember when Jesus, he reached out and touched people with his hand. Yeah. People were healed. Right. And God has given us the right to do the same thing, precisely the same thing with our hands. 
Amen. So keep our hands holy and pure. Lay our hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Then verse four, the fourth one is James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Confess your sins. That means it actually brings in an element of humility that you acknowledge your faults to one another. That's what it is. And it says when you pray, you confess your sins to one another, acknowledge your faults to one another, and then you pray for one another, you will be healed. Prayer cloths. Acts 19, 11 to 12, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. I practice that a lot. I pray for anointed cloths. And people bring handkerchiefs and socks and underwears and <laughs> towels and hats. And I pray. I pray for everything. You know, I mean, I can tell you stories. I remember in my home church, Pastor Sam had asked me to preach. And, and somebody, uh, there was this, uh, this, there was this, Man, he came for uh, with a handkerchief. He said, Pastor Christopher, could you pray for this handkerchief? It's for my wife. And she couldn't get out of bed. She was very ill. And she, I don't know what was wrong with her uh, and her back, something with her back. She was, anyway, so I prayed for the handkerchief and he took it home and she was sleeping. He put it under her in the bed. Then he went to sleep. He said, three o'clock in the morning, she woke up screaming. She said, my back is on fire. Something is burning. And she didn't know the handkerchief was there. And then she got up. She says, I'm healed. What happened? But my back is still burning, but I'm healed. And she got up and began to jump around. Then he picked up the handkerchief. He said, the handkerchief was hot like it was on fire. Then he said, I had something wrong, a bad shoulder or something. He put it there. It began to burn and got healed. So he said, at 3.30 in the morning, I began to think of all my friends and relatives, you know. So I took that handkerchief and began to go to people's homes and wake them up, people who knew were sick, and touching them with that handkerchief, and they were healed for several hours. That handkerchief was generating heat, and people were being healed. So, you know, handkerchief. Now, another time I, I was in Sweden, and a, a pastor friend of mine, he said, Brother Christopher, would you come and pray for my aunt? She's, she's in a mental hospital. And I said, sure. So he took me to the mental hospital. And we went there. And uh, he took me in there to her room. I mean, the lady was completely insane. I mean, she was, she didn't have a mind. She, so uh, I laid my hands on her. And she began to scream and, and, and you know, just throwing. She went crazy. And the staff came out. And uh, uh, they came in. And, and they and they stopped me from doing whatever I was doing, and they threw me out of the hospital. And they said, you can't, we know you Christians, you do this crazy thing. So anyway, so I was, so I was sitting in the car, and, and he said, oh, they are, they are like that. They don't like Christians. And, but they let me in because I'm her nephew. And so I said, I said, I have a great idea. I said, let's go to the supermarket. So we went to the supermarket. I bought some bananas and some chocolates. So I came back to the hospital, and we sat in the car. I prayed over the chocolates and the bananas. I said, now you go in. 
And first I wanted to take, send a prayer cloth, but they said, no, no, they, they know what these things are, prayer cloth. They want prayer cloth. I said, okay, the bananas and the chocolates will do the trick. So I pray, prayed for those bananas and the chocolates. So I said, I'll be in the car because they won't let me in, but they'll let you in. He went in, and I, I was there like 45 minutes, you know. Then he came out beaming. I said, what happened? He said, she took a bite of the banana, and the devils began to come out of her. And she was delivered, and he came out. So, you know, these things are powerful. And these are powerful things that God has given us, and we must use them. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So I pray for everything. Uh, the only time it hasn't worked when a, an old lady came with some lottery tickets and an envelope. And she said, pray for them. I said, yes, I'll pray for them. So I took the envelope. I said, I curse these in the name of Jesus. And I said, you're not going to win anything. Boy, they were mad at me. That church never invited me back, you know. <laughs> Diplomacy hasn't been my strongest gift. Anyway, so now then, number six is prayer of faith and anointing with oil. Okay? Is any sick among you? It's in James 5, verses 14 to 15. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him in, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall, heal, shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Hallelujah. This is powerful. If you're sick, call Pastor Rusty, call one of the elders, the leaders of the church, tell them to bring the oil bottle. And the Bible says, if they anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith, that he says you shall be healed. It works. Amen? And prayer of faith, in 1 John 5, 14, 15, he said, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know what he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So the prayer of faith is this, that before you pray, you find out what the word says, so that you pray according to his will, because God's will is revealed in his word. So what you do, you check the word of God, and you have a word to stand on, because you, can, you don't stand on your needs. You can always stand on the word. So you know what the word of God says, and then you say, Father, this is what you've said in your word, so we ask you for this in the name of Jesus. Now, you've asked him according to his word. So the Bible says that is a surefire guarantee that our prayer has been heard, because not every prayer is heard. Only those that are prayed according to his word are heard, according to this one. A lot of prayers... When people have prayer meetings, they don't make it past the ceiling. They're laying all over the floor when we have gone. But the prayers that make it past the ceiling, through the roof, to the heavens, are the prayers we pray according to his word. So you cover it with your word, with the word of God, and you pray, and he says, this is the assurance or the guarantee that we have that when we ask God for anything according to his word, we know this, that he hears he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know also that we have that we have the, that which we have desired in our prayers. That means that if we know that God has heard us, then we can say, praise God, God has heard. It is done. It is done. That's the prayer of faith. That is when I can claim that, you know what, I have it even if I don't physically possess it because I have asked according to his word. Amen. That's the prayer of faith. All right? Then the next way, the seventh means is Holy Communion. In our home, I'm not saying you should do it. In our home, 
when I'm home, now I'm here, but when I'm in Lancaster, my wife and I, we take Holy Communion every night before we go to bed. And we do this, we started doing this a couple of months ago. The reason is we have got lots of friends. People are sick, it's not just COVID-19, but it's also cancer. It's almost like right now, the days we are living in, the devil has unleashed all kinds of diseases yeah, against Christians. So, uh, so, so uh, one of the things about Holy Communion, not only do we partake in the body and the blood of Jesus, but we, it's also a way, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember. So we remember, Jesus, how you shed your blood for our redemption and how your body was broken for our healing. So we thank you for this. And then we pray for our family. We pray for all our friends by name. Uh, we have a whole list, and we go through that, and we keep on adding to that list, you know, because we know a lot of people who are suffering. So we do that, and, and it's amazing what the Lord does through that. Amen. Holy communion. Then, of course, after that, there are the gifts of the, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, working on miracles, gift of faith, and all that. So what it really comes down to, you know, some people think that, that uh, oh, I need some, some, super duper anointing experience, you know, that uh, I want to be in church where there's a moving of the spirit and something comes on me and then I'll see results. No, it doesn't work that way. Results you will see when you begin to obey the word of God and begin to do it. Amen? The Holy Spirit always kicks in when we obey the word. Amen? We don't begin to do the word after the Holy Ghost kicks in. We don't sit around waiting for the Holy Spirit to move and then we will obey the word. No, we begin to obey the word right now. And the greatest thing is that, you know the greatest thing? You can obey the word and pray for the sick even when you don't feel anything. Amen. Amen. One of the things I get asked, brother, when you're in Africa and when those lame people get up and walk, how do you feel? I say, most of the time I feel nothing. I feel absolutely zero. You don't? I said, yeah, really. I said, you think that what I do is preach the Bible. So you think, here's thousands of people who have big needs, and I've just preached the word to them, told them about Jesus. And now do you think God is up there twiddling his thumbs, waiting to see how Christopher Alam feels before he does anything? I said, who gives a flip to how I feel? God is God. People have needs. I preach the word, and that's enough. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we, 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 don't, we don't do things because we feel anything, because we feel anointing. What does the Bible say about feeling anointed? Is there any scripture that tells you how you feel to feel anointed? Is there a scripture that tells you how you feel when you feel faith? Nothing. It's obedience to the word. Amen. Amen. It's obedience to the word. It's pure, raw obedience to the word. Doesn't matter how you feel. You just grit your teeth and and set your face like Flynn and say, okay, from today onwards, I'm going to obey God. When I see sick people, I'm going to pray for them. You know, I'll just be there. I'll share Christ with people. I'll pray for the sick and I will believe God that he will give the results and I will do it no matter how it feels. No matter what it's like, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then soon you'll begin to see the fruit. You'll begin to see the results. Amen. Right. Amen. 
and then the gifts will begin to flow in your life. And that's when, you know, you kind of get into the flow uh, of things. And that's when you say, aha, that Arab guy was right what he said. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. Let's all stand up together. Amen. Did you learn anything today? Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we honor you. We glorify you. We thank you. I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father. Each one who is in this place tonight is one of your choice servants. I thank you that your hand is upon each one of us. And Father, none of us is left outside of your grace but you want to use all of us father you have a special niche a place for all of us and you want to use us and the lord is saying that all that is waiting for you to do yeah. is to step out and to take a one step of faith and as you step out in faith in obedience to the holy spirit because remember as a child of god that even in the times when the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you, His Word always speaks. If you want to hear a word, a sure voice that speaks to you all the time, His written word, the Logos, always speaks to you. And it always encourages you. It always gives you faith. It always spurs you on. So if you want to hear the voice of the Spirit of the Lord, Obey his word, act on his word, and you will see the things that the Lord will do through his word. Let's bow our heads together. I must do this one thing. If there's anyone here in this place. And, uh... Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.